Greetings, programs, and welcome to another episode of the Awesome Friday Movie Podcast. This week, we are talking about the Fantasia Festival out of Montreal. It's currently in its 25th year, just having ended. Both Simon and I attended, and we have a number of films we're going to speak to you about this week. Uh, Simon, as always, is with me. Say hi, Simon. Hi, and yes, this is our Fantasia wrap-up special. Uh, You've seen probably a about a thousand times more things than I did, but I did have the chance to watch some stuff. And uh, the quality this year was really, really high with really good diversity. I don't know, you've you've got a bigger pool than I do. What do you think about the overall quality this year? Uh, well, first off, my name is Matthew, and welcome. Uh, and this is my <laughs> second this is my second year covering the Fantasia Festival, and it's uh, been an, an honor and a privilege to do so for the second time. <laughs> Um, I would say, yeah, generally speaking, the, fe- the festival was really good. Uh, it's a really interesting festival. For those of you who aren't in the know, it's a, a large genre festival out of Montreal. And since we're in unprecedented disease-ridden times, uh, they shifted their... They actually did a hybrid festival this year. So there were some in-person screenings in Montreal, but the bulk of it was online as well. As opposed to last year, which was fully virtual. Um and I watched 18 or 20 films, including the shorts that I watched. And uh, very generally speaking, the quality was quite high. Yes. You know, there's, it's always difficult with festivals because, you know, there's, there's always going to be a few duds. When you watch that many films in that shorter time, there's always going to be stuff you don't connect with. Um, yeah. But uh, I'm pleased to say that I only really wrote, I think, two, not two bad reviews, I would say, out of the like, 18 or 20 things mm-hmm. that I wrote. It's actually probably 15, 15, 16 things that I wrote, I guess. And only two of them are, I would say, like, quote, bad. And I'm doing well, air I... quotes for those of you listening. <laughs> yeah, good. Oh, no, <laughs> podcast, perfect. I mean, I've got a much higher ratio. Everything I watched was really great. That would be uh, three things that I watched, but they were, they were all great. So that's a much higher ratio. Yeah. I mean, what better way to illustrate the difference between my amount of free time and yours than the number of films we're able to consume i'll tell you what though i know it's not ideal to to run your film festival virtually because you want the people you want the community you want the event right but i have to say from a uh, someone with two small kids and a very busy life having a film festival a festival virtually on demand anytime i want is absolutely fantastic and i love doing viff last year as well uh, um, virtually so uh, I expect some at some point these festivals are going to go back to on uh, live showings only and that's going to be sad because I won't be able to go to any of them because the, a lot of the showings are during the day as well I mean we've both seen the lines the, the lines for the VIF um, screenings a couple of years ago at Olympic Village amongst other places it's always quite hard to get in and you've got to be there early and it's all like daytime stuff so that excludes me out on multiple levels yeah i mean i don't think i don't think any of the film festivals are really truly going to go back to a hundred percent in person I, i think that the you know the 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 die is cast as it were mm-hmm. um but certainly that's the intent right like even fantasia is renowned for its you know its opening karaoke party and its big closing gala party and you don't get those in, in virtual it's uh mm-hmm. and that's kind of a shame mm-hmm. um i've covered vif for a number of years now and as much as it's way more convenient for everything to be online it is there is something to be said about you know going to a place and watching a movie and being among people who want to see movies so that's always my favorite thing about in-person festivals is that it's very, very rare to be in any theater and have some jackass with his phone out um, or people talking. You know, people who are at this festivals very generally want to watch the movies, which is sadly kind of a novelty compared to just regular theater going. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Yeah. Um, okay, so what should we you talk well, about first? Yeah, what I think we're going to do listeners is we're just going to do a quick survey of some of the stuff we liked at the festival uh simon's going to talk about three i'm going to talk about five or maybe six depending on runtime here um and in sort of shorter form to keep it down to about an hour hopefully so uh and i'm going to start with uh, a film that played in the middle of the festival online and it is an indie film called hellbender um 
Have you heard anything about this film, Simon, other than no. what I wrote? <laughs> I I have not heard anything about this film, but I instantly think of Hellraiser. So in my mind, it's some kind of Hellraiser spin-off. Right. So it's Hellbender. Clearly not. Hellbender is the type of thing that you will for those of you who go to festivals, it's the type of thing you're definitely going to see at a festival. And that sounds like a dig, but it's not. It's just, it's a very interesting, creative, kind of risk-taking. Um, and it's a, a coming-of-age tale crossed with some horror elements. The main young girl is, um, she's been sequestered away. The story starts with her living alone with her mother. And her mother keeps her away from society, ostensibly to protect her um, but of course it turns out that she has more going on she uh, and what happens is she's actually like uh she's a witch <laughs> and her mother is a witch and when she starts to be about 15 16 um she starts wanting to see people and a long story short she meets some people and they end up feeding her a worm it's a lot more mundane story than that sounds but the eating the worm consuming the life force of the worm awakens the supernatural power within her um and uh it becomes a super interesting film it's um it's also notable because the mother and daughter are played by a mother and daughter oh uh, that's cool named toby poser and zelda adams it's also directed by toby poser and zelda adams and um their father whose name <sighs> left my brain now that i started talking um <laughs> i think it's just john adams actually mm -hmm. um and also Zelda's sister Lulu also stars in it. Like it's very much a family affair. Uh, John Adams actually won the award for best score for this movie at the festival as well. So oh. it's really like a family production. And on the one hand, you know, it has some elements that it's clearly made on a budget, um, but there's some really creative effects and it's a really interesting spin on witchcraft that I don't think I'd really seen before. And there's a couple of really great performances. Um, and Zelda Adams, I believe, yeah, she won best actress for this as well uh, in the, their main competition, their Cheval Noir competition. Um, and yeah, so it's, uh, uh, it's, I don't know where this movie's going to end up, but it feels like a perfect fit for like Shudder. Yeah. Um, and I and I hope it gets there so more people can see it. To be fair, Shudder's a perfect fit for many, many films. It's a fantastic service. Um, yeah. the, the witchery, the witchcraft in this, is it on the scale of Sabrina the Teenage Witch to the witch witch? Like, what? where does the witchcraft fall on the scale? Is it charmed or is it more something a bit darker? Than that? No, it's definitely a bit darker. A lot of the magic involves like foraging. So all the, the interesting thing about the witchcraft in the film is that it requires them to consume the life force of something in order to do something. So mm -hmm. whether they're eating, you know, berries or whatever they're foraged or eating small animals or insects should they need to consume mm -hmm. something in order to gain its power to then expend that power uh, mm -hmm. and they're constantly um you know making spells where they're mixing their blood with herbs and stuff like that so it's it's not light-hearted but it's a really interesting spin um and part of the sort of the coming of age thing is how far the daughter's willing to go with that consumption um, oh. And why she's being sequestered away and why the mother in particular has sequestered her away in terms of like, it's about sort of coming into you are into who you are, but also what if who you are is kind of a monster, <laughs> so, you know? Um, and yeah, it's, good. yeah, it's a super interesting film and I really hope a lot of people get to see it. Uh, again, Shudder's not a sponsor of ours, but uh, mm. uh, I wish they were. I wish. Um, yeah, it'd be amazing. But uh, it feels like it'd be a good fit for something like Shutter or like your Arrow video or Shout Factory or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But so you're saying it, the word interesting a lot. So is this a good, interesting movie or just an interesting movie? It's a good movie. It's a solid, uh, you know, if you're going to put a number on it, it's a solid three out of five. Like it's not mm -hmm. going to change the world or anything, but mm -hmm. the, uh, it's well acted. It's well shot. Again, they're clearly working with some budget constraints, but it's really well put together and it's a really interesting and unique spin on all the things it's trying to be. Wow. Well, that's yeah. another movie I wish I'd had a chance to see. That sounds really good. I love yeah. the idea of a family production as well. Yeah, super interesting. And again, I'm just going to keep saying interesting, but yeah, super. <laughs> it's, it, it's really cool to see what a small, like 
you know, any artist collective working together, but it's also just really cool that they all happen to be a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. So why don't we move on? What was your first film you wanted to speak about? So, so the first of the three movies I'm going to talk about is a documentary called Alien on Stage. And um, if, like me, you have a special love for the Alien franchise, especially the first ah, the first three, maybe even the first, maybe even all four movies or four, I don't know. Um, there's, there's there's six if you don't count the predator ones. I'm, I'm, I, that's the thing. I'm kind of removing predator, and I'm removing Prometheus, and I'm removing Covenant. So if we go with like the four main ones, the quadrilogy, quadrilogy. There's four of them, yeah. yeah. I, anyway, I love Alien. I it's it's uh, the whole franchise. I I love it for different reasons, and um, so th- this documentary kind of picks up on this community theater group. So there's a bus company in Dorset, which is the Southwest of England, (laughs) where there's a bunch of working class people who work on buses who every year put on a show. And every year they put on, up until a few years ago, they put on a self-written pantomime. So your Robin Hoods or something like that. Uh, Pantomime is this, very British interactive Christmas show where you basically put on a, fa- a common story or fairy tale. The men dress like women and it, uh, there's lots of audience participation shouting things like, oh no, they didn't and watch out there behind you and things like this and the singing and it's very, very light and very jolly and a little bit, uh, a little bit bawdy, but that's British for you. And then this one year, they, the kid who writes all their stuff is a massive horror movie fan and a massive alien fan and gave them a choice of, of things. He said, I, I want to write a movie. I want us to do a movie. And he gave them the choice of, oh God, what is it? Alien, maybe Robocop and something else. And that's the first like point of surreal, ridiculous nature of this whole thing that these, these old and bus employees decided to go with Alien after, without even seeing it. So this documentary is basically a bunch of people who are not even Amdram actors, directed by a guy who's ex-military, doesn't really know anything about drama, who put on an Alien show. And because someone heard about it on social media and came to watch them in London, she was a filmmaker and decided to do a Kickstarter, which raised thousands of pounds and then told them they were coming to do one performance in Leicester Square, London, (laughs) where all the big theatres are. So basically the the documentary kind of picks up on the end of their process. They did like two nights in their local theatre with 20 people watching. And then the whole world explodes around them as suddenly they've got three weeks to get ready to go to London. And this is one of those perfectly British stories like the British love underdog like working class underdog movies it, like if you if you've seen things like the full Monty uh, this is kind of like the full Monty but it's not uh, fiction it's real people it's uh, very very real English bus drivers um, putting on alien and and they they have a guy who makes all the sets and the the it's really a testament to creative like ingenuity that he makes like full Nostromo sets and alien sets. And he follows guides on the internet on how to build this alien suit. And it's all like bits of foam and ends of vacuum tubes and all kinds of things spray painted black. And by the end of this, when you follow them there and they are, they are so out of their depth, it's ridiculous. And the rehearsals don't go well because they don't really learn their lines. They they spend most rehearsals sat around drinking tea and eating cookies, <laughs> eating biscuits, <laughs> because that is the British way. That is the way we do things. But they they all put their heart into it. And just hearing the lines from aliens, but said in a Dorset bus driver accent, um, it's it's very similar to the kind of the effect of watching the British office go through any anything serious. Right. There's a wonderful moment where the face hugger is on Kane and uh, um, uh, the captain uh, Dallas is like, um, cut it off. I don't care. I'll take responsibility. But in, in the stage show, he's like, yeah, cut it off. 
<laughs> your, tight, your tight responsibility yeah just do it and it's just very 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 matter of fact and it makes it hilarious and without i mean it's you should watch it you you can probably guess where this goes they go to leicester square and and against all odds they put on this stage show with the audience are laughing but with them from beginning to end and they, they act their hearts out and they get a standing ovation. They get invited back for the next two years. And uh, the Leicester Square Theatre says it's their favourite show they've ever put on. And it's, <laughs> if you can watch the end of this movie without tears in your eyes, then you are a heartless human because it's really difficult for me. I'm trying to write a review of it and it's difficult because I've been a theatre director with no money and I've tried to use drama with people who've never done it before and I just recognise so many of these struggles and just the the way that they go absolutely they really go for it in terms of the props and the sound effects and the the, the staging and um, you'll believe that by the end of it that these bus drivers can put on Alien and it's it's extremely heartwarming um, the, it takes maybe a little while to get into, maybe because I think the filmmakers they try they use a lot of the um, the kind of the UI from Alien to try and paint the picture, and so it's a little bit slow to get into. But once like they really get into this movement to London, and you get to know all the characters, um, it's beautiful. By the end of it, it's just beautiful. It's so touching, and they do a really good job of showing us who these people are. Like that, they are not. Um, they're not funneled down any kind of editorial route to make them seem a certain way. They just who they are, who they are, and they're very, very genuine. Not a single shred of acting experience between them, and, and yet they pull off Alien. It's really wonderful. This sounds, in a word, adorable. <laughs> it's adorable. It's got you written all over it. It really, really does. But yeah, the, uh, this, this movie the, was actually on my list to watch. And I honestly don't know why I didn't. I think I think part of it is I think it's technically I was trying to focus a little bit on Canadian film and I was trying to focus yeah. a little bit on this year's film. And it was a holdover from late last year. Um, but I've, I've regretted watching it ever since. Actually, since the beginning of the festival, when another friend of mine watched it and was like, you need to watch this film. And then I just didn't because I'm a silly person. There's the highlight of this movie is they decide on the night without testing it to do a, a chest for the chest bursting scene. They decide to, he, uh, they find this prosthetic chest and cut a hole in it for their, their um, little baby alien to wriggle through. So, because they show like for the last 40 minutes is just the main parts of the stage show. And the climax of this thing is, and the music and the editing is fantastic. You see from your perspective, uh, he's like thrashing on the table and, they, they quietly hook up these hooks because just behind you've got two grown bus drivers, each with fishing rods, trying to hoik this thing out. <laughs> and they got, one's got, trying to pull it up and the other one's trying to pull it out. And um, honestly, you, you know they succeed. And when they do, it's, it's kind of a stand up and cheer moment. It's really, really wonderful. Well, it sounds excellent. I really hope this is another <laughs> film that like I really you can sort of tell it's going to end up on a streaming service somewhere. Um, so. And uh, when it, I'll, I, as soon as it does, I'm going to sit down with my wife and make her watch it basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So yes, alien on stage. Lovely. Good job. Good. Bus drivers in Dorset. Good, good. Uh, well, let's move on. My next film I'd like to talk about is one that has actually was acquired by Shudder. Uh, and again, not a sponsor. Um, but if but if you're listening, um, yeah. uh. acqu- acquired by Shutter ahead of the festival, and it's a British uh, slow burn horror film called Martyrs Lane. Um, and it's Is that sort where of the martyrs live, What's something like that. the The setup of this film is basically there's a young girl who lives with her mother and father on a vicarage, um, which is you know it's a large sort of church estate um and she it's a small town and she's kind of an outcast within the town she's kind of an outcast within her own family as well and the whole film this is an important point the whole film is from her point of view and she's about six 
So she's, you know, there's points in the film where she's walking in on people talking and she doesn't understand and we don't understand because she doesn't understand. We know her parents are going through something. We know that her parents have been through something significant, but we don't know what it is because she doesn't know what it is. And one night she's in her, uh, in her bedroom and another young girl comes in through the window. Um, a sort of spectral child, if you will. And without giving too much away, each night that this other girl comes, the the um, she gives our main girl a task. And every time she completes a task, which is often just like go out and find this thing in the bush or like go and climb this tree or whatever it is, whatever she finds or discovers by doing that task reveals a little bit more about this event that her parents are clearly recovering from. Um, and I, I really don't want to say too much more because this is a really melancholy film. It's a horror film, like there's ghosts, um, but it's a really melancholy film. It's really about building suspense and dread and that sort of feeling of something missing inside that comes with, uh, I can't even say what it is without giving something pretty major away. And I really don't want to. This film will be on Shutter in less than a month. And um, <laughs> I really would think lots of people should try and watch it. It's uh, really wonderfully acted. The main little girl, uh, let's just look her up here. I should really have this ahead of time. I'm very professional. <laughs> is it played as a horror or is it horrifying in tone? No, it, it's it a, a horror. It's horror. It's a horror film. Like it's a yeah. it's a fantasy type horror movie, right. um, and it's a, a lot of the horror comes from the fact that just the young girl whose name is Leah and she's played by a young girl named Kira Thompson, um, just doesn't actually really fully understand what's going on most of the time because she's like six and how could she? And there's big things happening around her, right? Um, and her and the other little girl, the girl who comes into the window, whose name, um, the, the actor's name is Sienna Sayer, also, again, like six or seven. Um, and they, everything about their two performances is so wonderfully sincere. And you just really believe it's two young girls talking, even though you know there's something sort of spectral and not quite right about the other little girl right like you know something's not quite like she came in through the window the second story window like you know she's not alive basically but it's all about the film ends up being about what it what it's like to be haunted by to be haunted in multiple ways what it's like to be haunted and i, I really don't want to say much more than that if <laughs> it's uh again it's um it's a really well done film and it's more than anything it definitely has its moments of scariness, um, but it's at its core, it's actually really melancholy, which for some reason I've really gravitated gravitated to in the last couple of years. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that sounds good. I'll definitely watch that when it's on Shutter. Yeah. So again, not a sponsor. <laughs> um, so moving on, I think we're about to talk yeah. about the only film on our list that we have both seen, and I'm yes, gonna let and, and I'm gonna let Simon take it away. What a film this is. So this is a Japanese movie called Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. And it's a sci-fi, I guess, in, in its premise. Um, uh, a man owns a cafe and he lives above the cafe. And in the cafe is a monitor screen and it's linked to his screen in his apartment upstairs. And he discovers very early on that the what he can see on the screen upstairs is two minutes into the future. That's the premise. And uh, it rolls with it, just like you're going to have to roll with it. It rolls with it. And so he starts experimenting about when he can speak to himself or, or how the, the dynamics of seeing, because when you're downstairs, you're then seeing two minutes into the past. And then monitors get moved and face each other and the time 
goes on in two minute increments uh, into the past and into the future. And the reason I'm not making much sense is that the premise of the movie, it, it starts pretty quickly with here's the thing and then it doubles down every like 20 minutes, it adds another layer of complication. And um, from a filmmaking point of view, they've they've shot this thing to make it look like one single shot. And you don't which have is, to- which is, in, which is insane. Like, well, I, the, the, two, the two insane things about this movie are, yes, that they have organized it to make it look like one shot, which the planning for that is through the roof. And honestly, the way they stitch it together is really, really effective. This, but in addition to that, when these kind of two minutes start looping back on each other, you start to get four minutes and six minutes and eight minutes. There are there's one point where this story is like four layers deep. And I can't even imagine the planning and the writing that had to go into making that work because it really, really works. They really pull it off. Um, and it's just a very, um, there's, there's no music. It's quite stark. It's just a very earnest, funny, sci-fi Japanese, high concept Japanese movie and it's just a joy from beginning to end. I mean, what's your what's your take on it? I mean, that exactly. I think like to give to give to give you an idea of listeners what the how it works out is the very first scene where he figures out that the monitor is looking two minutes into the future is he goes upstairs to go to bed and someone on his computer screen is talking to him and it's him. <laughs> and he's like, What is going on? And the and the him on the computer screen is like, I'm two minutes in the future. And he's like, and he says, well, what, what do you mean? And then the two, him two minutes in the future says, well, come downstairs, you'll understand. And then he goes downstairs and they have the same conversation again, but you see it from the other side. So when Simon says that they double down on this, they really do double, triple and quadruple down on it because you end up with, with multiple characters speaking to a lot of the time themselves, two and four and six and eight minutes into the future and the past. And it turned and like as the film goes on, um, lots of little moments uh, start to build on one another. Um, you know, once they inevitably start trying to experiment to use manipulate time to their own gain, things go off the rails, but in a way where the, the payoff to everything they do is so perfect. Uh, and, they, and, and yeah, they, I, uh, <laughs> sorry, yeah. I'm just mad. I'm we just both, thinking about we, we, we both really timing. like this movie, is the thing. Like, the, the, the timing of this is incredible. I'm sure they had to use like recordings to pull it off, but it doesn't feel like that, like at all. But then, but even the recordings, then which they have to act against everything, there's a little, a lovely little thing in the end credits where they there's a little behind the scenes where they show people running with stopwatches and around these the the directors like running with cameras and timing everything just to get each scene must last exactly the right number of seconds to interact with the other scene they've already recorded and showing on the other screen it's it's just mind-blowing how they pulled it off and and with six or seven characters at one point interacting with this um uh it's it's uh, quite a feat to to follow all that and keep it going yeah for sure um this movie actually won the audience award for best asian film uh it also won a special mention in the uh cheval noir and uh i think another category as well um yeah and it's just like here's the thing it's only like 82 minutes or something like that and it is a it's a pure joy from beginning to end it's you can really tell that everyone involved really wants to pull it off uh and everyone's clearly having a ball doing it (laughs) uh which really goes a long way um and And it's uh, if, if you're a time travel movie nerd like we are obviously it addresses those time travel questions like if you're seeing something happening in the future can you change it and there's a couple of points where they're about to do something different but because they've seen themselves do something in the future they feel restricted to doing that future thing yeah. so did that future thing always happen or did they would they ever have changed what would have happened if they changed it and um, then there's other little things about 
they pass information back to their past selves, but the past selves only learn that information at that point. So when they go to the future, they pass that information to their past selves because they learned it from their future selves. And so there's lots of mind-bending time travel, timey-wimey stuff going on. But it's yeah, I mean, imagine with such like levity, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, imagine whatever your favorite time loop movie is, but imagine they had one one hundredth the budget. <laughs> this is what we're talking <laughs> yeah, really. about. Yes. <laughs> You know, it's 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 so simple and it feels really and I use this word before uh, in uh, talking about it before, but it feels really scrappy like it feels mm-hmm. really uh, like a labor of love uh, in the best way possible. Yeah. And this is another one where I don't know if it's going to get North American distribution, but I really hope it does. I really hope a yeah. lot of people get to see this movie because it's so much fun. It's interesting that it does feel a bit scrappy because. The, the way this movie's been organized is like military precision. They would have had to work hard to keep that kind of scrappy, lively feeling between the cast members and the script and everything going on. Because it could have felt really prescribed and, and straightforward. But they did a great job to make it feel like they were actually making this up as they went, whereas the, the amount of pure preparation and planning for this um, meant obviously every second was completely mapped out it's yeah 100 percent uh might be it's definitely in my top three i know i know you only have three things but it's definitely yeah, it's in my in top, my top three. three it's in my top three as well yeah um okay. yeah so beyond I the infinite two minutes to... seek it out and find it yeah. if you can i hope you get a chance to watch it it's really lovely yeah okay what are you talking about now matt I'm going to move on to a Canadian feature. Uh, it's the debut writing and direct, uh, directorial and writing debut, feature debut of a Canadian actor named Mark O'Brien. Um, the film is called The Righteous. Uh, Mark O'Brien, you may recognize he was in Ready or Not a year or two ago. Uh, he also had a recurring role on the AMC series Halt and Catch Fire. Uh, he also was in Denis Villeneuve's Arrival. Uh, in a supporting role. Uh, he's a real sort of up-and-comer Canadian actor. Um, he's been in a number of Canadian productions as well, uh, probably most notably... Um, uh, there's a detective show I can't remember the name of, but he was on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like I know things when we sit down, and then as soon as we sit down, I'm like... Blah, 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 blah. Stuff. He did stuff. Stuff. He did stuff. Anyway, um, so he's written and directed this film. It's called The Righteous... Uh, it also stars Henry Zerny and Mimi uh, Kuspik. She's got a Polish name that I can't pronounce. <laughs> uh, Kuspik, I think, is how you pronounce it. Um, and it is uh, a story of faith and guilt, and it's shot in a really sumptuous, high-contrast black and white. Um, like, imagine if the Sin City films were good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) oh um, wow that's not fair i mean they're not bad but imagine that it was used to greater effect let's say um uh kuzik mimi kuzik that's her name um and the setup of the film is that so henry zerny is a former priest and mimi kuzik is his wife and they had an adopted daughter who has recently passed away and they are fresh in the grieving process. And then one night, a handsome young stranger who is injured shows up and they take him in because he's injured and their whole lives are turned upside down. And you've probably seen some elements of this before, you know, stranger disrupts people's lives, not a new setup, but this film is very well written and beautifully acted in particular by Henry Zerny and uh, Mark O'Brien. Um, and if you follow the site at all or follow me at all, you know that I am, I have a, a predisposition towards liking films that feel like stage plays. And this is one of those very much. So most of the best scenes of this movie are Henry Zerny and Mark O'Brien, just talking, just talking at a table and, um, uh, and they talk about faith and guilt mainly <laughs> um, and the inter and, and grief. And it's, uh, 
it's got a real foreboding tone and it's got some real melancholy moments and it's got some real like capital a acting moments from zerny and o'brien but not in the bad way like in the like oh yeah henry zerny national treasure henry zerny you know like guy who shows up in a movie like mission impossible one and walks away with the movie you know um it's uh i don't know much more i can say i can't i can't be effusive about this movie enough i don't necessarily think it's 100 percent successful i think that it's very 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 good probably a solid you know four out of five if you're going to put a rating on it um but given that it's a mark o'brien's debut as a feature writer and director like what a film you know like what a debut uh it's uh it's really well done like really really well done it's beautifully again beautifully acted beautifully written and beautifully shot as well reminds me of uh your friend mr rockefeller's debut was very much like a stage play as well yeah Um, i think and it's interesting you say that too so um one of the things i really appreciated about this film is that henry zerny and mimi kuzik's life and their home feel incredibly lived in in that same way that your grandparents' home feels really lived in. You know, like uh, every interior set in this film feels like your grandmother's house with knickknacks on the wall and, you know, faded photos and paintings and stuff kind of everywhere. The the home feels, I keep saying this, but lived in, but it feels lived in in a really authentic way. And the again, the high contrast black and white makes all of these little details pop in really interesting ways. Yeah. Um, and it also just makes for some really dramatic frames of the film. Uh, Cause it's again, like when something is in shadow, it's really in shadow, mm-hmm. right? One of the early scenes when Mark O'Brien's character first shows up is shot outside and he's lying on the ground and Henry Zerny is on like the porch and he's lit. He's in full silhouette. And it's one of the most striking images that I've seen in, in the whole festival. Um, amazing. yeah uh, I don't know when this film is coming out but I assume that it's going to because it's quite good uh, Mark O'Brien did win best screenplay in the main competition of the festival and I know for a fact that it's going to be playing at the Finn Atlantic Festival uh, later in September and I presume it'll be at uh, VIF as mm-hmm. well Um I don't know when it's going to go into wide release, but there's going to be plenty of opportunity for you to see it, uh, at least in Canada, because uh, all these festivals will have an online component this year. Mm-hmm. So, and I'd, I'd expect it to hit again. Fin, fin for sure, Atlantic Festival for sure. Uh, a VIF, I would imagine, and probably Whistler, I would imagine too. But that's just a guess on my part. Either way, when it, when it's around, you should definitely seek it out because it's a hell of a debut feature. Okay, sounds amazing. Yeah. And just so very, I'm, very pretty. Just very pretty. Yeah. Cool. Well, the third and last film I'm going to talk about is probably my my pick of the festival of the three. Um, it's a uh, movie set in Tokyo called Dreams on Fire. The, the director is a man called Philip McKee, who's an American film school graduate who has lived in Japan for a couple of years and made lots of short films using uh, Japanese culture as his backdrop, but this is, um, I believe it's his first feature. Um, I could be wrong, but it's um, certainly his highest profile movie. And Dreams on Fire is about a dancer called Yume, who uh, at the beginning, uh, we well, there's a, a dance show that we think is her as a young girl watching that uh, she has aspirations to be a dancer. And the, the first scene is her telling her extremely overbearing traditional father that she wants to b- become a dancer. And he basically gives her an ultimatum and she leaves, she leaves home. And she is from a, this very, very rural area of Japan. And her father is uh, dismissive to the point of being cruel, like really controlling. Um, you get the feeling it's a very traditional kind of, in his mind it should be a traditional family the mother is too scared to say anything he's trying to make his daughter do what he wants to do and she 
stands up for what she wants to do and she leaves. She goes to Tokyo to become a dancer. Now, you've seen this movie before. Our young girl has aspirations to become a dancer and becomes a dancer and it's very showy and uh, at one point Missy Elliott turns up. <laughs> if you've seen Jessica Alba's Honey, then this is nothing like that. <laughs> there are... There, there is a scene actually where you may uh, picked up some choreography where she kind of does some moves while watching a screen. And just for a second, I'm like, oh my God, it's the honey basketball choreography scene all over again. But luckily it's it's not. And the uh, wait, are you denying uh, the greatness of that scene? So honey is absolutely one of my favorite movies to watch and it is absolutely one of the worst movies ever made so <laughs> you can you can find that balance <laughs> it is so bad we could do a whole podcast on how bad honey is and how much i love to watch it um but this the the i guess watching so many western movies of underdogs following their dreams of being successful is such a common movie trope by this point that dreams on fire um actually uh, pushes against all of that and is an extremely authentic and brutal exploration of what it takes to be creative in a society that doesn't really value that anymore and obviously i'm quite bitter about that whole thing anyway but she the this young actress who her name is Bambi Naka. Now, I didn't recognize, obviously, I didn't recognize her. I watched this movie and then I Googled her afterwards and she's a big deal. Like, she's a, a big personality, a dancer in Japan. Super, super cool and trendy and funky. But I'm really glad I didn't know that going into this movie because she plays this character, Yume, with the most innocent, almost naivety, this beautiful kind of rural approach to life. She has completely unprepared for the, the, the rigors and the people and the darkness waiting for her in Tokyo. And what's really, really nice about this is that it feels so authentic in that Tokyo is usually presented to Western audiences as this utopia of, of politeness and cleanliness and, and uh, all these, you know, all the very, very positive traits. You can tell that everyone who made this is showing us the real Tokyo and she goes through some horrible shit where she she is just so trusting and open and she just wants to do her best she just wants to be a dancer so she ends up in a terrible situation as like a, a, a hostess bar this Japanese hostess is like this idea of a, a bar worker who off, also offers conversation but she gets into a really bad situation there. She goes to auditions and, and it's funny in that there's a, there's a number of opportunities in this movie where she could have her big break and the music would swell and she wins and she doesn't get it. She keeps getting closer and closer and she misses out on some things because she doesn't have a social media following. She misses out on other things because she's too tired to go. But she keeps like pushing and trying and not in a real like American princess kind of way, but in a really determined uh, sort of tenacious kind of way, whilst being the most lovely, innocent person you've ever met as well. And she she sleeps in this Tokyo apartment that's that's maybe two foot by five foot on a padded tatami floor with lights and music pounding all night. And so she doesn't get any sleep. And she she goes from like dance class and all, all these different things she goes to she becomes like a go-go dancer and then a fetish dancer and all these things that she becomes the common thread is most of the women are really supportive like you might expect a kind of a pink ladies kind of thing where she walks in there and all the old seasoned vets are like growling at her like moulin rouge the seasoned dancers growling at the rookie and what's really, really, really nice is that it's always the women who are supporting her and it's the men who are assholes. Can't think why they would go that angle. Um, the men in this are, most of the men in this are terrible, awful human beings. And um, you just get the feeling that this is, this is not 
over uh, amplified for the sake of the movie. Like this is a very authentic underbelly of Tokyo. But the because it's a dance movie, the absolute best thing about this movie is the way it shows you dance. It's not um, like a pop video at all. There's multiple dance styles and music styles in this film. It starts with street dance and break dance. There's classical Japanese. There's modern jazz style. There's fetish style and some S&M stuff and, um, and, it, and, and a couple of competitions towards the end. And I absolutely adore how this director shot all the dancing because it, the whole film really takes its time. It's a two and a bit hour, two hours 20 long. And it, it's a long movie. It, it doesn't rush through anything, including the dancing. Like it shows us a lot of the time without any dialogue, the beauty of this dance. And um, Bambi Nako is this incredible dancer, like incredible, but you really get the sense of the character finding her feet. And with each dance style, the camera kind of behaves slightly differently. So at the first dance competition you see is like the street dance face-off or the first proper one and the camera just sits there quite low angle just looking up at these dancers it no like fancy zooming or cutting it really just long takes of these people just dancing and it is glorious and then later there's um very close angles that are very dreamlike there's lots of dream um iconography and some nightmare visions later on as well and I loved how the director shot different dances really to bring out the dance style. And then of course, towards the end, as her journey concludes and, and she finally you know, gets a bit of light at the end of that tunnel, that it ends and a little, not abruptly, but quickly. And it's just a really powerful movie about someone who is creative and just doesn't want to give up. And I really, that really resonated with me. And uh, everyone's fantastic in it. Like the, the main actress is an incredible dancer and you don't get any sense that she's famous at all. You, you, she really portrays this innocence and it really reminded me of, oh my God, what was the film in the Vancouver Asian Film Festival that I recommended to you? The one I never watched. Uh, oh my God, what was that called? <laughs> Oh, I can't believe I've got what it's called. Uh, and it's about a girl getting ready to leave home and it's her like trying to go through the relationship with her best friend. And these two best friends are major pop stars. They're part of the AKB like pop troupe in, uh, in Thailand, I believe. And again, she was just amazing at playing this very quiet, very like unassuming character. And this movie really reminded me of that as well. Um, it's a really uplifting, beautiful, stunningly beautiful movie about the beauty of dance and uh, how tough it is to, to make any headway in that world. It's really it, good. Was it Curtain Up? Was that the film you're thinking of? No, not Curtain Up. No, it's um, Before I Go, maybe it was yeah. called Before I Go. Oh, that's really going to annoy me. Uh, you've got, I really recommend that movie. You're right. I'll try and find it, but um, it's on my Vimeo account, so I'll have a quick look. But the, the if you like um, creative journey movies, or if you like sort of uh, artistic exploration in your films, it's, it's a really beautiful film. I really hope it gets a release somewhere. Is this the kind of film that might inspire you to reclaim some of your acting, <laughs> you know, will uh, and time to act? So I miss acting way more than I thought I would. Um, the problem is not, the will is not the problem. It's the, it's the energy. It's but the it's time, also time the energy. time. Like, I perhaps should stop watching movies where creative people do anything to follow their dreams because it's, it's, uh, it's, it hurts. It really, really hurts that I'm not part of that community anymore. Um, so maybe, I hope so. I'm, I, I would like to think so, but like all creative things, it's, it's an exploit for young 
young people with energy who have a bit of money and I'm none of those things. <laughs> so, um, you, know, you know, you say that, but famous character <laughs> actor John Mahoney took his first acting lesson at the age of 37. Well, maybe I could do with some new uh, acting classes too, so he knows. Yeah, I mean, he had so the that, advantage of being in Chicago and, you know, being recommended to join Steppenwolf Theater and a whole bunch of other stuff, but, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, don't get me started on the art scene in Vancouver and the opportunities in Vancouver because, oh boy, it's not Chicago, let me tell you. Yeah. Um, so, That's... yeah, the movie I was thinking of is called Where We Belong. Oh, okay. And, and um, the main actress... I can't remember... I'll have to find out, but look it up. It's called Where We Belong uh, from 2019. I really recommend you watch that as well because um, the, the performance in that movie is, is mind-blowing. It's really, really good. So I love Asian movies. I just love... I, I There's so many great films coming out of so many Asian countries at the moment that I really look forward to things like um, Dreams on Fire, or any kind of film festival now, that's pretty the first thing I look for is Asian horror. Or, <laughs> what, how did I describe it to you? Like super um, earnest Japanese ensemble movies, like special actors or um, yep. uh, One Cut of the Dead. Like this is my special genre. So this is another <laughs> movie um, with that's just blown me away. It's it's doing really different things than the kind of things you, we usually watch. So highly nice. recommended. Nice. Well, I missed that film as well, but I really wanted to see it. I really hope it gets a release somewhere. I believe it's Canadian co-production. I think Mr. Yes, McKee is, yeah. is actually Canadian. Um, I think. Uh, either way, the, the list of countries be, on it are, are Canada. Yeah. Um, but I really hope it gets released or plays at other festivals so I can see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we're going to wind down with one last film. From yes, what's your me. last film? We're hitting about an hour right now, so we should probably wrap it up really quick. But my last film yeah. is a film you can actually watch in theaters right now if it's safe. Uh, as always, unprecedented times, if it's not safe to go to the theaters, you don't have to you don't have to see a movie in the theaters if you you know don't risk your life or anyone else's but donnie yen is in a new movie this year called raging fire and it played as part of the fantasia festival and it's in theaters in america and canada right now and if you like 90s style over the top bombastic melodramatic action films with paper paper thin plots that feel incredibly deep for some (laughs) reason then you raging fire is going to be your jam this movie whips a ton of butt um (laughs) and there's no other way to say it um the setup is that donnie yen is the older completely by the book morally righteous or morally righteous hong kong police detective and at the beginning of the film he's out to get a crime boss um but the initial operation to arrest that crime boss is interrupted by a team of uh, highly trained individuals who kill the crime boss and a number of other policemen, really. And it turns out that this gang is a group of police officers headed up by uh, a character that used to be Donnie Yen's protege in the police. And that character is played by a Canadian Chinese actor called Nicholas Tse. Um, he's from Vancouver. Uh, and although he's a big star in Japan, he's, a, he's a, an interesting guy, actually, because he's an actor. He's a singer. He's a celebrity chef and travel show host. Um, <laughs> he's done a little bit of everything. Uh, and who can blame him? He also learned martial arts, apparently, I learned, from Sammo Hung, which is incredible. Mm, cool. Um, but basically, uh, the rest of the film is, you know, master versus former apprentice. The, and the reason that the protege hates and is out to get his former master is that the reason the protege and his whole team of, uh, of colleagues went to jail. And they went to jail because Donnie Yen's character wouldn't lie. Right. So in the beginning, it's revealed eventually that there was an operation to get a different crime boss. Um, 
and there were two things that needed to happen and donnie yen and one team went one way and the protege uh nicholas say and uh, went the other way with his team and they did something that donnie yen's moral compass won't let him forgive and when they were tried for that crime he could have very easily said that you know they something to get them off but he didn't he presented it in black and white and they all went to jail and now they're out to get him so <laughs> it sounds amazing when do i watch how do i watch this again it's in theaters right now i imagine yeah. it'll get an on-demand release sooner than later i don't want to tell you much more about it you can probably guess most of what's going to happen in this film except the thing you have to remember is it's donnie yen fighting everyone there's a <laughs> there's a literal there's a fight that takes him literally from the rooftops to the sewers both literally and metaphorically it's <laughs> it's interesting because, sewer. well it's just it's interesting because when you watch a really good martial arts film and we don't really get those here, right? Like they come from Hong Kong and from China, right? Hong Kong in particular is really good at this, of, at using fights to advance character and plot. Yeah. And a lot of the fights in this movie do that really well, in particular character. There's a lot of sort of the undertone and underpinnings of the story are, would things be different if they had chosen different, like if the inciting incident to their hatred for one another is again that, you know, Nicholas say did this thing that Donnie can't forgive him for, but what if their positions had been reversed, mm-hmm. right? Would things be different? It's sort of an open-ended question in the film. But it also, so there's a lot of, you know, nice, just deep enough to be super compelling elements to this film. Um, but there's also a scene where Donnie Yen jumps off a second floor balcony onto the top of a minivan, commandeers it from the guy driving the minivan, but before he before he drives away, make sure to ask if he has comprehensive insurance. <laughs> uh, and like the big final fight takes place in a church, and the and Donnie Yen and Nicholas say are bathed in the light that's shining through the stained glass, so it's all colorful and like very emo and really overwrought music, and it's just amazing. Wow. Um, so again, like if you like again big remember there was that time period in the 90s when uh john woo in particular broke really Mm -hmm. big in north america and we ended up with these big hong kong style action scenes in american so if you like that kind of movie you need to seek out this movie (laughs) because i'm I'm on board that sounds amazing because yeah again it's it's big 90s style over the top melodramatic character driven action it's really good it might it might be my it's it's i don't so beyond, it's funny i said on a different podcast that beyond the infinite two minutes was my favorite film of the podcast but the further away from it i get the more i think raging fire might actually be my pick of the, of yeah, the that's, a fair, that's a fair choice by the sound of it yeah so raging cool. fire donnie yen and honestly here's the thing donnie yen is 58 and is still probably Jeez. the greatest martial art artist on the planet. He's so great, just so watchable. I, I don't know what that thing, right? With good martial artists, he is that thing. He's got so much watchability. Well, here's the thing about Hong Kong martial arts films that you don't get in North America. I mean, there's a number of things I could talk about this for a long time, but the and we've talked about this this particular thing before. But when in Hong Kong martial arts films, when they fight, it appears as though they have intent. Mm-hmm. Like they're not punching to each other's arms, they're punching to their heads and bodies. They're When they're throwing a, a, a sword or whatever it is, they are striking to each other and not to each other's weapon. And mm-hmm. that alone, you know, makes the whole thing have a much more visceral feel to it. And they also just know to pull the camera back and let us watch the fight, which I feel like we really miss out in North American cinema. That's you know you get directors who want to change camera angles and uh, you know cut to make things seem fast, but you don't need to do that, man. Just like point a camera at Donnie Yen and watch him whip somebody's ass. That's what you want. That's what I want to see, and that's yep. what this movie delivers. <laughs> so I'm so on board with that. Yeah, fantastic. 
So we are, so I think, that, over an hour yeah. at this point. So I think we should. I've probably, got no more films to talk about. So <laughs> I could go on for ages, uh, <laughs> but we probably shouldn't. Um, so your your choice of the film of Fantasia is Raging Fire. I'm going to say Raging um, Fire this time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. And mine is Dreams on Fire. So the yeah. fire movies win. Excellent. Yeah. So we'd like to take this opportunity, obviously, to thank you for listening uh, to our rambling. We very much appreciate you. Um, you and at this moment, again, ask you for, you know, that thing, which is to say, uh, please, uh, if you like what you hear, give us a review or a like or a subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice if you like what you hear and feel like you'd like to support us patreon.com slash mc simpson is a thing uh, you can find links to that and all of our social profiles at my landing page on the website or just go to awesomefriday.ca they're all there in the sidebar and under every uh, article what uh, what do you have coming up simon anything well, we have just a little, there's a little independent movie we're watching next Wednesday called, called Shang, Shang-Chi. Yeah. So it's from a small movie company called Marvel. Um, so we're yeah. watching Shang-Chi on Wednesday. Yeah. So we should have a lot to talk about next week. Uh, with, <laughs> uh, with any luck, I will also have seen Candyman, which I have not oh. been able to see so far. Yeah. Um, that looks good. So, that so... looks really good. So next week will be a good episode. So cool. Uh, until right. that time, we're going to sign off. Thank you again for listening. We love each and every one of you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Bye.